As you're turning to Romans chapter 10, we will be in the whole past, we'll be in the whole chapter this morning. So I'm going to go very quickly. So listen, fasten your seatbelts, hold on, keep your copy of God's word out, and we will go through some scriptures together about how we should go tell the world. As you're turning and as others are turning, let me clarify one point. An email went out this week. Another one will go out tomorrow to clarify. The Sugar Mill tailgate outreach is happening on our campus, not at Sugar Mill. I missed a preposition in my oversight and review of the email that went out. So Sugar Mill is not happening at Sugar Mill. The luncheon is happening in RFLC. So just to clarify that, before we jump into the Word of God, read with me. For context's sake, chapter 10, verses 1 through 13, our primary text, as it is on the screen, will be 14 through 21, looking at going and telling the world. Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes that the man who who practices, practices the righteousness which is based on law shall live by that righteousness. But the righteousness based on faith speaks as followed, follows. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. In your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith which we are preaching. That is, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and confess in your heart that God raised him from from the dead, you will be saved. For from the heart one believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in the riches for all who call on him. And for whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Church, as we pray this morning before we examine Romans chapter 10, verses 14 through 21, I ask you this question. Are we not called as a church, not just us as preachers, not just us to call to ministry, but church, are we not called to bring the good news to everyone we come into contact with? Let's pray. Father God in heaven, man, you are so awesome. Father, we thank you for your abiding love. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus the Christ, sacrificed on Calvary's cross. We thank you that the grave didn't hold him, that he rose from the grave and he ascended to you, Father God. And we should go tell everybody about that. Father, I pray now, as it was read earlier, that I would decrease and you would increase, Father God. And Father, that you would use this vessel, 
this broken and contrite vessel to proclaim your word, Father God, and that your word would have preeminence in this place. Father, that they would hear from you through your Holy Spirit today, Father God, that I myself, as I wrestled and struggled with this passage of Scripture, would, Father God, continue to allow me to struggle with this passage. Father, I pray right now that you would be seen in everything that we do today. In Jesus' name, amen. John Phillips is one of the commentators I like. He says this about Romans 10, 1 through 13, and we're not staying long in Romans 10 through 13 because we got a lot to unfold in Romans 10, 14 through 21. Salvation is resolved into its two elements, a heart trust that provokes a true confession and, <coughs> excuse me, and yet the two are one. For the confession without belief is either self-deception or hypocrisy, while trust without confession may be cowardness. cowardness. You see, there's two, two things that he points out here. Number one, the evidential evidence of confessing Christ. And then the evangelistic evidence of confessing Christ. First, let's look at the number one. Evidence of personal faith is a heart change. You see this in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, and I'm going to read it. If you want to turn, I invite you to turn, but I'm going to read it for us. You brood of vipers, how can you, be, how can you being evil speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. And then if you flip over to the gospel of John, to help us understand evidential evidence of our salvation. You see in the Gospel of John, verse, uh, chapter 19, verse 21, you see this. nineteen twenty-six. When Jesus then saw his mother and the disciples whom he loved standing nearby. Nope. That is not... A, the text. Um, I don't. I wrote the wrong reference down. I apologize. But basically, it says that you, they will know that you are my disciples by your love. That out of the wellspring of the mouth, one speaks. Well, if Jesus is in the heart, then we should be speaking and living the things of God. And if we're doing those things, then there's evidence that Christ has changed us from the inside out. And that should invoke in people that are around us the necessary understanding that there's something different about us, that they should, it should invoke them to question us why we don't react the same way they react. And it's because Jesus Christ came into our life and changed our lives. And then the, the revealing of the personal faith is our outward change. Verse 13 makes reference to the prophecy made by the prophet Joel, and he says this in Joel chapter 2, the verse 32. And it will come about, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be delivered. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there will be those who escape, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom call on the name of the Lord. And then if you skip down a couple verses into chapter 3. Since you have taken my silver and my gold and brought treasures to your temple. God, wants, God wanted the Jewish people to receive his word and to be his people. And we'll see throughout the text 
of the second part of the chapter 10 that we'll be examining in just a moment, we will see Israel's consistent rebellion against the way of God, therefore bringing salvation unto the Gentiles, which is us today. Thank you, Lord Jesus and God the Father for opening up your salvation, the promise of your salvation to us as well. But we got to do something with that. We can't just hold it in and keep it to ourselves. We got to go out and we got to share. The truth I want you to gain in the synopsis of Romans chapter 10 that I want you to gain right now is this. Salvation has been offered to all people through Christ. The message of the gospel must be proclaimed by all men. Paul is a missionary. And when necessary, an apologetist. For the truth of the gospel, which he had been entrusted with him. We need to be ready to give an account as Paul was ready to give an account and the God that we say we believe in. We don't need to remain silent. Paul did not remain silent as our pastor has reminded us numerous times previously. Paul was a group of fellow believers and missionaries was almost stoned to death. He was drug out of the city. He gets up and says, let's go right back in there. In the faith of persecution, we must be willing to go tell the lost and dying world about our Jesus. And if we are willing to do that, then we are fulfilling the great commission we are that we sang about. We are fulfilling John 3.16, and we are fulfilling what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 10 that we are about to examine. The gospel, here's the thing though. You know why Paul was so passionate about the gospel? The gospel was real to Paul. Paul had a real understanding of the gospel. Paul had a real desire to spread the gospel. Where are we in that? Do we have a real desire for the gospel? Do we have a real understanding of the gospel? And do we have a desire to take the gospel to the uttermost parts of the world? Our pastor also challenges us to get here in the Gonzales and within our community to share the gospel. It's great to go to Georgia. It's great to go to England. It's great to go to Arlington. But what are we doing with the gospel right here, church? Are we sharing the gospel with those who are our neighbors? Are we sharing the gospel with those who are our co-workers? Are we sharing the gospel with anybody and everybody that we come into contact with? Here's the thought and the truth. Overarching theme of Romans chapter 10, verse 14 through 21. Paul understood the gospel as a message to be heard. He obeyed it and circulated it. Not merely parsed, perhaps defended, and at the end, idly affirmed. I believe with all my heart, I tell the students this on a regular basis, the youth, the college, and anybody else that will listen to me, the problem with the church today is we want to sit on our gospel and we want to keep it to ourselves and we don't want to take it to the world. And therefore, the world doesn't see the change in us. Therefore, the church doesn't see the change in us. And we just come in and we go through habitual, routinely, normal, Things like coming to worship rather than believing as Paul did that the gospel has the power unto salvation and the gospel has the power to change lives, church. You know, this verse is kind of funny to me because 
I've been struggling with it since Arlington. I shared one, one, one night during our nightly devotions this passage of scripture with the students. But I do not like feet, y'all. For the longest time until somebody corrected me, I told the students that I had a foot fetish. And somebody said, no, Marvin, you can't say that. Do you understand what that means? And if you know anything about me, I am not grammar at all. I'm not English at all. And I don't know sentence structure or anything else. And, and one of my older students or, and my wife said, you need to go look that word up. <laughs> and the more I looked that word up, the more church, my jaw dropped that I've used fetish for years. And I've used fetish for years. And I use fetish for years. And that's not the right word for what I have. I promise. I do not like feet. So when we, when we come to talking about how beautiful our feet are, I don't think feet are beautiful. But here's the word in the Greek for beautiful, timely. How timely are the feet of those who carry the gospel? Whew. That gives you a whole new outlook, does it not? Now, if we take... Verses 14 and 15, let's read them together. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him who they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautifully are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Let me break that down for you. Who bring the gospel and who bring salvation to all people. How beautiful, how timely are those feet. And you notice that Paul starts with four rhetorical questions to the Jewish people, to the nation of Israel. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? Number two, how will they Believe in him who they have not heard. Number three, and how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? You see, point number one is this, the inquiry. Paul inquires of the people, that of the listeners and of us today, how will they hear if they never, never told? Just think about that for a minute. If everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, it is important that everyone had the opportunity to hear. Is that not correct, church? If everyone has the opportunity to accept Jesus Christ, then it's the opportunity of, to, of everyone to at least be able to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is that not correct, church? Yes, it is. And shame on us for not taking the gospel to the world in which we live. As we read the section of Romans, first section of Romans 10 and this section, did you not notice the verb progression if you flip it in the reverse order? It says this, Christ commands disciples or believers to go preach and share. Number two, disciples share. Number three, people hear. Number four, those that hear believe. Number five, those that believe call on the name of the Lord. Number six, those who call on the name of the Lord are saved. 
But how will they hear, church, if we keep our Jesus in our little black box and we don't ever take him out? How will they hear if we don't ever live for Christ in the world? How will they hear if we take the gospel and we take our Bible to word, but we got to hide it in our satchel and we got to do this and we got to do that because we're afraid that somebody may say something to us. Students, how will they hear if, you take your, if you're always on your phone? Bring your Bible to work. Bring your Bible other places. You say, Marvin, what's that have to do with sharing the gospel? If they see you reading the Bible, they might ask you if you go to church. If they ask you if you go to church, they might ask you if you believe all this nonsense that the world says is nonsense, which is truth to us. And we have a purpose. We are commanded by the Lord Jesus Christ to go and share and go and tell. And if we can't do it, then who will? And church, I'm pointing the fingers at me because when you point one finger forward, there's three pointing it back at you. Shame on us. Because they will never hear as long as we sit silently. That's point number one. Point number two. Can we advance the slides, please? It's verse 15, the second part of it. We find our identification in Isaiah 52. Verse 7, it says this, How lovely on the mountain are the feet of him who brings the good news, who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, your God reigns. This is prophecy from Isaiah is both present and future tense. God will bring salvation to the nation of Israel and the prophets are bringing the good news but Israel is being stubborn and hard-headed and not listening and rebellious and we are doing the same exact thing in our own lives with the sins that we don't want to confess as we talked about in the latter part of James last week to one another and we are keeping them to ourselves and it's hindering our effectiveness for the gospel, church. Isaiah 52 functions twofold confirmation. Number one, confirmation that preaching and sharing is essential for people to receive the gospel and to be saved. Number two, confirmation that the last component for salvation is present. Preachers have been sent with the gospel. Now, I told you a moment ago about my foot fetish and I didn't realize what foot meant. I mean, fetish meant and I don't do grammar well. Well, I definitely don't do biblical language as well, so hold on. I'm going to give you the last part of chapter 10, verse 15. I'm going to give it to you, and here's what, the, here's what the Greek word says. Evangel, zomenon, agatha. Those who bring the good news of good things. Those who evangel, menon, excuse me, evangelism. Those who evangelize, we are to take the word of God and we are to share it and bring the message with it. Look back with me at Isaiah 52. I know we are jumping. Isaiah 52, 4 through 10. I'm going to give you four points from this passage real quick. For those, for thus says the Lord God, my people went down at the first into Egypt to reside there. Then the Assyrians oppressed them without cause. Now therefore what do I have now therefore what do I have here? declares the Lord, seeing that my people have been taken away without cause. Again the Lord declares, those who rule over them 
those that rule over them. How? And my name is continually blasphemed all day long. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, in that day, I am the one who is speaking. Here I am. Verse 7, how lovely on the mountain, we read it a moment ago, are the feet of him who brings the good news, who renounces peace and brings the good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, your God reigns. Eight, verse 8, listen, your watchmen lift up their voice. They shout joyfully together, for they will see with their own eyes when the Lord restores Zion. Break forth. Shout joyfully together, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has confronted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has barred, the Lord has bared his holy arm in the sight of all the nations. That all the ends of the earth may see the salvation of our God. Verse 4 through 5, disobedience and sin of Israel. We see that in those verses. Then in verse 7, we see change occur when God sends salvation. In verse 9, we see that Israel is saved. But we also see in verse 10 that the message is future. To the ends of the earth will be saved. To the ends of the earth is the Gentiles. That's us. Thank you, Jesus, that you allowed us to be part of of the new covenant, and that we have promised to be in heaven with you one day. Here's the truth I want you to gain from verse 15. It isn't the physical features of believers' feet that are beautiful, but the excitement of message of the gospel. But the excitement of the message of the gospel. Let me say that a third time because and when we hear things redundantly, we're, we're supposed to comprehend that more but the excitement of the message of the gospel it's wondrous life-changing effects that those feet carry to the ends of the earth point number three the issue willful disobedience verses 16 through 20 of romans flip back with me to romans now chapter 10 Verse 16 through 20. However, they did not, however, they did not all heed the good news. For Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. But I say, surely they have never heard. Have they? Indeed they have. Their voice has gone out into all the wilderness, or all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. But I say, surely Israel did not know, did they? First, Moses, I will make you a jealous, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation. By a nation without understanding will I anger you. Isaiah said this in his very bold statement. I was found by those who did not seek. I became manifest to those who did not ask for me. Husbands, I'm going to pick on us a little bit. And, I, and it happened to me this weekend. 
But willful disobedience means we listen, but we're not hearing. I found a recipe. I was telling my wife about this recipe. And she says, yeah, last night I told you about that recipe. Uh-oh. And she even said to my avail, that's not normally like you. Because you see, with, with the gifts that God's given me, I can do about four different things and tell you everything that's happening all at the same time. And she would say on countless occasions, you're not listening. And then I repeat every word that she said back to her, and I tell her what she meant by what she said. Whew. Thank you, God, for that gift. However, children are the same way, right? We tell our children something, and they do the opposite, or they don't even do it. And what, what's the normal response? I didn't hear you. And my response in our household is, but you said yes, sir. How many times do we treat God like that, y'all? God tells us to do something. God tells us again to do something. God tells us again to do something, and we still sitting where we are. And we say, God, we didn't hear you. Now, why'd you respond? We got to be a people of action is what Paul's calling us here. Isaiah 53. Not everyone who hears will heed and become obedient, even though the feet of those who share the good news are beautiful. Matthew 11, 15, 13, chapter 11, verse 15, uh, chapter 13, verse 9, chapter 13, verse 43, Jesus says, Let him who has ears to hear, let him hear. Listening without hearing only leads to trouble. Listening without hearing only leads to trouble. I mean, let's, let's look at the Old Testament and let's look at a quick synopsis of the Old Testament. God tells Israel to do something. They do it for a little while. They become willful disobedient to them. They repent. They turn back to God. God restores them and reconciles us. Let's bring that typewriter all the way back for those that are old enough to remember typewriters. Then what happens? God tells Israel something. They listen for a little while. They willful obedience. They repent. God restores them. Back. God tells them something. And it's just, just an endless cycle. It's the same endless cycle in our own lives. Is it not? John 3, 16, that was read for us. God's unmerited grace demands a response. All effective preaching, teaching, and sharing is accomplished by God himself. You say, Marvin, how, how is that true? Oh, one of our pastor's favorite passages of scripture that he shares with us often. For I am not ashamed, Romans chapter 1, verse 16 says, of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Praise God that salvation does not lie in our hands. I tell the students all the time, when you share and they reject, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting God. But we are still to be faithful in sharing the message. Church, how can we be effective Sharing the gospel. How can we be effective in the Great Commission which says go? And that means as you are going, everywhere you go, share the good news of Christ if all we want to do is sit and soak. Verses 18 and 20, Paul raises two questions and you see them. Did they not hear? 
Of course they heard. Psalms 19.4 says that. Did they not understand? Of course they understood. Deuteronomy 32, 19 and 21. Turn with me to Deuteronomy. We got time. Thirty-two, nineteen, verse 19 through 21. It says this. The Lord saw this and spurned them because of the pro- provocation of his sons and daughters. Then he, was, then he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end, I will see what their end shall be. For they are a perverse generation, sons in whom is no faithfulness. Remember my typewriter illustration? Israel knew. Israel was without excuse. Israel believed the Old Testament. Israel understood the Old Testament. They understood what their forefathers went through. They understood church. But they were listening without hearing. Are you today listening without hearing? You see a couple of things. God offered grace to, re- to the rebellious, Isaiah 65. Verses one and two. I permitted myself to be sought by those who did not ask. I permitted myself to be found by those who did not seek. I said, here am I, here am I to a nation which did not Call on my name. I have spread out my hand all day long to rebellious people who walk in the way which is not good, following their own thoughts. He opened up the gospel because of Israel's rebellion. He opened it up to us and reached out his hand to us and says, here am I. Just accept the good news and proclaim the good news. And he said that he reached out to Israel and they were worried about their own ways. They were worried about not doing good and following their own thoughts. Church, is that not us today? How about the prophet Hosea? If you hadn't read read Hosea, it's one of my favorite minor prophets. I encourage you, or it's one of my favorite prophets. I encourage you to go read the book of Hosea. Hosea 1 to 10, when you have questions, you can bring them to our pastor. He'll be happy to answer them for you. (laughs) If the Gentiles who were not, this is still under point number two about Paul's questions raising, did they not understand? Of course they did. The Gentiles who were not seeking righteousness understood the gospel. Israel was without excuse. Hosea chapter 1 verse 10 says this, Yet the number of the sons of Israel will be like the sands of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it is said to them, You are not my people, it will be said to them, You are the sons of the living God. If you skip down to chapter 2, the last verse, 23, says this. I will sow her for myself in the land. I will also have compassion on her who had not obtained compassion. And I will say to those 
who are not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. Paul also touches on this in the, in the book that we're currently in, in Romans chapter 9, verse 25 through 26. The truth I want you to gain from verses 16 through 20 says this. Faith is our response to the gospel. The gospel itself awakens and makes faith possible. Think about it. If they don't hear, they can't respond. Correct, church? They don't hear, they can't respond. So if we're sitting silently on the gospel and we never take it out to the world, do we give them a fair opportunity to hear about our God? Let me answer that for you. No. Point number four. Should say the indictment. Continuous rebellion. Denny says this. He's a theologian of years ago. Says this. That God outstretched arms were the symbol of the instant pleading, insistent pleading love with Israel through all its history. Coupled with Isaiah 65, 2 through 5, and in verse 21, Paul gives a twofold indictment on Israel. Here's the twofold indictment. Number one, God continuously, continuously extends grace to them. Number two, they continually rebel against that grace. Disobedience is this. To refuse to be persuaded. Israel thinks they know better than God. And they're given, as we've seen through the text that's been examined today, they have been giving to their own thoughts and turned over to them. It is not a lack of hearing or understanding that leads Israel's, to Israel's rejection of the gospel. It is willful disobedience. I've said this before, and I'll probably say it again from up here. It doesn't matter what I believe. It doesn't change the fact that the word of God says something else. If the word of God says it, then we must believe it. And in believing, we must be obedient if we want to be, remain faithful to who he is. So after examining this passage, Ooh, excuse me. The truth I want you to gain from verse 21. In the context, or this entire passage, in the context of Romans 10, 14 through 21, we discover the heart and ideology of Paul is a response to God's word, is, is a response to God's word, is that the only way to salvation and that sending out people to proclaim that word is God's chosen way to bring that word to the ends of the earth. So after examining this passage, we discover the success, not the failure of the gospel. The reason for disobedience to the gospel must be found somewhere else other than God or the saving message of Christ. Let me put it this way. It's not Israel's fault that they didn't listen. I mean, sorry. It's not God's fault that they didn't listen to God. It's Israel's fault. For whatever sin you're going through in your life, it's not God's fault. It's your fault. Whatever sin I'm going through in my life, it's not God's fault. It's my fault. Because God gives us a free choice. 
And church, in that free choice, he desires for us to make that choice him. Throughout the Old Testament, from Genesis to Malachi, God's desire was for Israel to be his people. From Genesis to Malachi, it was Israel's rebellion against him. Even from the very beginning of time with Adam and Eve, it wasn't God's fault they chose to disobey God. It was their fault. Church, today, it's not God's fault. It's our fault. We want to see change in the world. How beautiful are the feet that bring the gospel? How beautiful are the feet that bring the gospel? If we want to see change in the world today, if we want to see change in the church today, if we want to see change and growth in the church, if we want to see people truly become disciples of Christ, and that is our heart's desire to follow after the heart of God, then we must, as our pastor reminded us last week, confess our sins to a holy God. Hold one another accountable, church, so that we can be effective ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So today, so you say, Brother Marvin, that's all good, great, and fine. But what do you want me to do with it? I got four questions with what I'd like you to do with it. As we come to our time of invitation, as we come to the time of response, as we come to our time of challenge and focus and meditation. Are you willing? Are you living in willful disobedience, which is leading to continuous rebellion by not sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ? Would the Apostle Paul, would the Apostle Paul share with you how beautiful your feet are because you are faithfully sharing the gospel? What's stopping you from having beautiful feet? What act of willful disobedience is stopping you? Confess it before him. He is ready and willing to forgive you of your sins. The altar will be open. I promise you, and you come see me after service if you go to a friend and they, they start condemning you because remember what Elijah read. The son did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved. If a brother or sister comes to you with sin, and they're confessing it to you. Help hold them accountable. Don't judge them. So today, church, I'm encouraging you during this time of response to find a brother or sister in Christ to pray with. I know that's a little bit out of the norm, but we were challenged by our pastor to do it last week, were we not? From the book of James, challenged by God to do it. But the altar will be open. Next one. Are you not able to have beautiful feet because you have not accepted the message of the gospel in your own life? Have you not called it upon the name of the Lord as we read so beautifully in Romans chapter 10, verse 13? And you can't share what you don't know. So today I offer an opportunity for you to understand and to hear the gospel in more detail with one of the pastoral staff or with one of the deacons or with a member that's sitting next to you. And finally, I said four, but there's actually five. That's why I should number things. What's stopping you from accepting the gospel? Accept it today. Jesus is calling. His Holy Spirit brings conviction in our lives. The Father draws us. And the word of God from 
Matthew, from John, from the prophets, from the Old Testament, the New Testament, has been presented today. It's not me that brings salvation. It is the word of God that brings salvation today. So I encourage you during our time, Brother Red's going to come. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing through one verse. If the Spirit's moving, we'll keep singing, but we're going to sing one verse. If you need to respond to Jesus Christ, to be more faithful and to have beautiful feet for the gospel, if you need to respond to God and give your heart and life to Jesus Christ, make today the day of your salvation. If you need to talk with a brother or sister in Christ, there's rooms all over this place. Our deacon of the week won't lock up until you're done doing business with God. What is God calling you to do 